0: The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome to the Formed Book Club. Vivian Deuterro, Father Fessio, Joseph Pierce. We now begin a new title. Would you hold yourself, please, Vivian, between us here? Uh, the Lost Mandate of Heaven. The American Betrayal of, how do you pronounce his name? Oh,
1: Ngo Dinh Diem.
0: Ngo Dinh Diem, President of Vietnam, by Jeffrey Shaw. This is a very important book, Uh, and Vivian's going to kind of take us through it. Uh, But I'd like you first, Vivian, to tell us briefly about the history of how we got this book and what you did to it.
1: Oh, well, I was uh, expecting that question, so good thing I prepared an answer First, I just want to mention that we have a video based on the man's life that the author of the book worked very closely on. So, if there are people who don't want to read a book, they can get the movie version and still follow along with what we're talking about.
0: And have you seen it?
1: No, but it's Ignatius Press. Hey, it's gotta be be, gotta be good. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, how did how did we publish this book? Well, Jeffrey Shaw, the author. Uh, sent us the manuscript. I think it was his dissertation. And we usually don't publish dissertations because they're not made for public... We
0: never publish this. Don't try and send us one. Yeah. We've done one. It was by Carol Wojtyla.
1: Yeah. Uh, but a pope and a saint, I mean, the rest of you forget about it. Okay, so, um, so, but what happened was father started reading it. You're the guy who first reads things when they come to Ignatius Press. And he brought it to me and he said, I know this is a dissertation, but he's saying things I haven't heard anyone say before. And what do you think? So I read it, too. And I said, I, too, have never heard this interpretation of President Diem.
0: and America's role in Vietnam, and, that's a key thing
1: Yes, and, and this this side of the story of America's role in Vietnam and America's role in his betrayal and assassination and that he was a devout Catholic uh, so um, we thought, well maybe, maybe we could make a book out of this if the author's willing to work with the axe lady and so uh, that's what we did and we uh, got it so down have, to On the
0: one hand you have a hatchet man on the other end of it, axe lady. You know? <laughs> we-
1: but you know what, to tell you the truth, Father, I did not realize the gem that this really was until we asked Father Shawl to write the foreword. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about who Father Shawl was.
0: Well, if you don't know, I Google him, a wonderful Jesuit priest deceased a couple of years ago. Uh, he was a political scientist, but it was deeply rooted in Plato, Aristotle's tradition. And uh, he's a brilliant guy and also very, very funny. Uh, and, and so we published several books by him. One, for example, called The How to Learn. No, no. Oh. oh. Another sort of learning. Another, Another sort of, sort of learning. learning. Thank you, Thomas Jacoby. Newly a father of a wonderful preborn, premature born baby who's doing well. Um, three pounds, 11 ounces right now. Um, Anyway, that that book we've done, which has a subtitle, which would take the rest of this session to read to you, but a phenomenal book. Uh, We've published many of his books, and he's beloved by his many students, and again, terrific insight on especially things of political philosophy.
1: Right, and he was a professor of political philosophy at Georgetown from 1977 to 2012, and when he retired... He gave a final parting lecture, and it was standing room only. He was so beloved by his students. and, uh, and But, Father, he taught at the Institute for a while, didn't he, he when you were there? He did
0: teach the Institute. He also taught at the Gregorian University.
1: Yeah. So a uh, very learned man. And when his foreword came in, and we saw uh, some of the amazing things, Shawl's description of this book as being a courageous task, He called it careful scholarship and a redemption of memory. And Father Fessio and I both were, wow, we didn't even know it was as good as all that. (laughs) So uh, we then uh, put it together and put Father Schall, Father Schall's forward in there. And
0: um, Vivian took like a 600 plus page dissertation and made it into a 297. 297-page 297 readable book, which, uh, of course, has been hugely popular in the Vietnamese community here because mm-hmm. they revere him as a saint. Right. But also, I think it's important for us as Americans who want to be patriots and should be patriots to recognize where some of the flaws of our government is because what happened in Vietnam has continued to happen in the future and it's happening even now. Yes. We speak. And it's if we if we love our mother, if we love our country, we want to recognize what needs correction in her
2: and help to bring that about. And right. This, this is
0: the kind of thing which will do that.
1: And speaking would,
2: of that, I would say I would say just one thing as well as, as regards being the 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 Brit amongst us, the uh, the the Englishman, uh, that I didn't even know who this fellow was, uh, and you know obviously. Uh, Americans are much more knowledgeable of the history of the Vietnam War than the British people are. We weren't involved in it. Um, we just saw it from a distance. Um, so, you know, all of this background, this historical backdrop, this background is so new to me. It's such a learning curve. And it's such a joy for me to be on that learning curve and to be understanding this aspect of history of which I was entirely ignorant. So, so thanks to Ignatius Press for publishing this. And I feel very blessed that we're going to discuss it over the next few weeks.
0: But also there is a British element yes. here that's very important. Yes, because part of the problem we'll see in this book is that we were dealing in Vietnam with an insurgency, guerrilla warfare, and American military policy was not based on that. It Was based more on major warfare against a uniformed enemy that you you know went and, and demolished. Whereas the British had experienced. In how you respond to insurgency warfare, where you have to gain the minds and hearts of the people in the villages, because a major war won't
2: help you. Right, and that's well, there's a-, a delicious irony here as well, of course, as you're saying that, Father, because this is a complete flip side of the coin. Because, of course, the the, the American War of Independence, right. The Brits were used to having conventional warfare and didn't know what to do with the guerrilla tactics of, of, the, of the revolutionaries. So, you know, and it, and now we have sort of the British Empire 150 years, 200 years almost afterwards, with all the experience of trying to police an empire that uh, emerged since the Revolutionary War that now has this uh, understanding that the Americans don't have and they want to go and fight like the Redcoats. You know, you've got to yes. fight really you when know, you can't... You can't hide behind things. You've got to fight fairly. And so there's a you know, delicious irony here, but history is such a funny thing.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And the, um, the British element here that Father's mentioning, we'll, we'll meet this man later on in the story, a counterinsurgency, a British counterinsurgency expert who was helping the Malaysian government keep out the same communist insurgents that were making headway elsewhere in Southeast Asia. Malaysia was successful. Vietnam was not, and Diem wanted to go with this man's advice, and he even was brought to Washington to talk to the top press at the Pentagon, and unfortunately, uh, his advice was not heeded, and so we're, we'll, that, that'll happen later on. But speaking of counterinsurgency, that's a little bit more of the background, because this author, Jeffrey Shaw, his speciality was counterinsurgency. And he was making a study of the Vietnamese counterinsurgency. And it was while he was studying that as a military historian that he began to see that the portrait of Diem that he had always heard in academic publications and in uh, public-type periodicals, the New York Times and so on, compared with the man he was actually getting to know from the real documentation of the war he said these two people were two different people and he wanted to get to the bottom of it. And that's, that's what's, what was the instigation of this study?
0: Yes. And, and I would say this is not only important historically and currently, but also as a book, this is dramatic, it's, it's a very, it's intrigue, you know, and there's spies and counter spies and there's insurgents and there's military activity and there's assassination attempts. I mean, this is really uh Right. It, it, I, we should we should watch the video. We should if, watch <laughs> the video, see
1: if it's any good. No. Uh you know, uh that's how I helped uh Dr. Shaw with he's by the way gone to his rewards, you know. He just died recently, died young of cancer, relatively young. And so uh I keep thinking about him yes. now, and uh he I kept telling him, There's a dramatic arc here, uh Dr. Shaw. That's what we need to find to tell this story. We got to stick with a plot <laughs> <laughs> because in his scholarly way, you know, he was going off on all of the, as, as a good scholar would, right? And I said to, you know, to write, write a popular book, we need a plot. And so that's kind of what helped us winnow it down.
0: But the beauty is it's not just one man's opinion of what happened there. No,
1: He had copious
0: resources. Oh, yes. And he interviewed people, including the people that assassinated him. You know?
1: Yes, he did. He interviewed them personally, yeah. and sometimes just to check that I was making sure that this really was. Because what do I know about Vietnam? Right, I, he, I, I'm not a Vietnam. And, and he he
0: would quote these things, you know, statements that were made. And what did you
1: do? I, I started checking some of them, just you know, kind of randomly, and I I found uh, a recording with LBJ at the at the Richmond University, uh, Virginia Richmond Library, and sure enough, it was exactly the way uh, Shaw had described it and, uh, the bit, other things later I might bring to your attention. And I thought, wow, okay, this really is how we, how we saying it. It's really what happened. So, uh, anyway, um, so where do we want to go next? Do we want to, um,
2: well, can, I, can, I, can I jump in? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, with the epigraph, I can't get much sooner. I, I think I'm probably trumping everybody. Uh, that's uh, fine. The front materials. Well, I think this really does set the scene well. One thing I found interesting is the way that DM is a devout Catholic, but also an admirer of Confucius. Now, now, you know that's confusing, perhaps, to some of us uh, who aren't really well versed in Eastern philosophies. But of course, Confucius. Confucianism is, is a philosophy rather than a religion. So it's not as if he's trying to put together two completely incompatible things. And here we have in these two lines, I think sums up Diem versus those who uh, betrayed him. So the superior man understands virtue, the mean man understands gay. These are the words of Confucius, use the epigraph here. That so DM was a man who understands virtue and lived by it, and made decisions based upon it, whereas his enemies were those who were pragmatic, uh, and were looking for short, short-term myopic gain, rather than the longer-term understanding of the problem uh, and its solution. So I think just in those two lines from Confucius, we do get an encapsulation of the two sides at work in the whole of the drama that's going to unfold now.
1: Yes.
0: Also, let's set the scene a little bit more, because... You know, I, I lived through the Vietnam War uh, and all the protests and so on. For most people now, young people today, this is ancient history. Mm-hmm. And they don't treat where Vietnam is, perhaps, and, and what happened in the past. Uh, so, I mean, that region was part of the French colonization called Indochina at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, dra- around the World War II, before, during, and after there was a desire to be liberated from the French. Uh, But the country, because it had been French and had French missionaries there, had many, many Catholics who were well-educated, but they were still a minority. And so Diem and his family were a minority. The majority were Buddhists. But as you said, Joseph, and and this epigram expresses that, Diem had a great respect for Confucius and Confucianism and for the, there were some extremist Buddhists who were politically involved, but for the most part, the ordinary people and some of the monks were basically peace-loving, hard-working, uh, good people. And so even though Diem was a Catholic in a minority group, he had the support of his country, Catholic and Buddhist alike. And that was a very important factor in uh, trying to resist the communist Viet Cong invasion of North Vietnam because what happened after World War II, I think it was after World War II, is what they split Vietnam into North and South, mm-hmm. and Ho Chi Minh became the leader of the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- there was a, um, and that became communist, and there was a desire on the part of the United States and the West to prevent Further communist incursion mm-hmm. into Southeast Asia: Laos, um, Laos, Cambodia. There were two two big big areas there, and then of course Malaysia, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, Malaysia uh, kept the communists out. So did Thailand.
0: Yes, I know.
1: And, uh, but um, Laos, Camp- you say Laos? I always say Laos. How is it pronounced? I
0: think it's both ways.
1: Anyway, <laughs> uh, they fell to The Co- Laos. Cambodia also fell to the communists. As we know, the Pol Pot regime that killed 14 million of its own people, uh, that was... Uh, Yeah, the backdrop
2: at the time as well, of course, this is really very recent history, was the Soviet expansion into half of Europe, the whole eastern half of Europe, following the end of World War Two. So obviously, people were, were concerned about the spread of communism. It would already... Grab half of Europe is now in, in, you know, grabbing large chunks of, of Asia. The Chinese Revolution had just happened, of course. So, yeah, one of the, the largest countries in the world has become communist. Clearly, right. the alarm, uh, this world revolution that seemed to be spreading like a plague uh, right. across the globe.
1: Right. And the Soviet Union was the chief supplier of arms and military uh, technical advice to North Vietnam. So this 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 was definitely, uh, you know, the Cold War in certain places gone hot, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: proxy war these proxy
1: wars. That's exactly what this was. So, uh, in any case, um, Father gave us some of the background, and that's also in uh, Shaw's forward. He goes into some of that background too on page ten, and uh, then he continues through with. Basically, the whole story: DM's betrayal, his assassination, and so on. That's kind of all covered in thumbnail sketch in Shaw's forward. Was there anything else in the forward that anybody wanted to
0: just I, I point think out? What, what you said. This kind of gives you the plot and what the skeleton of this book. It does. Uh, but then to read the detail is what makes it so fascinating. You
1: know. Right. And what and what um, Shawl says on page thirteen, uh, kind of in, in the second half there, one of the most upsetting elements of this book is the theme of the unreliability of the Americans. Uh, he talks about the Eastern Europe that we let them become under the subject subjection of the Soviet forces. Of course, if um, General Patton had had his way after the Second World War. He was ready to keep going. He did not want to leave those people in the hands really. of the Soviets. But by then, there had already been so much war, so much bloodshed, so much loss. America said, "No, we're done. We're coming out." And anyway, um,
0: on that point, yeah, well, the, the unreliability of Americans—that uh, is the dark side of something which is very good. You mean, unlike a monarchy or some country where you have seven or ten-year terms for the president. We change presidents every four years, and sometimes the Congress is different party and the president, sometimes it's the same. So that someone makes a treaty with the United States, and then four years later or three years later, the regime changes. That's right. You know, it changes democratically. But all of a sudden, well, they, they can't predict what America's end is going to be for more than four years, if that.
1: And so the troubling thing... About that and about what what Shaw has to say here, he continues this thought on 14, the bottom of the second graph where he says, the book recounts the profound venality and ignorance of well-educated and aristocratic American diplomats and journalists who insisted that they better understood the situation in Vietnam than did the local leader and the Americans who grasped what he was doing in the light of the enemies he had to deal with. And uh, that kind of echoes your Confucius epigraph, Joseph, right? The venality of uh, these people. And it's not easy to read when you start to see. Um, and
0: there, there are commentators who, one can accept or not, but are, are qualified today speaking about both Ukraine and about Israel and Gaza, who are saying, the the American foreign policy is based on arrogance and ignorance,
1: right? And has been, as we can see, for a long time. And
2: yes. and uh, just one thing before we perhaps we we move on from from the forward again. I I actually highlighted an awful lot of father short forward, but uh, as you might, might say, Vivian that, that father and and we uh, collectively have given all of the background, which he gives. We don't have to go over it again. But in the middle of page 12, I mean, remembering that Father Shaw was a political philosopher, um, he sees things in those terms, as he should, and he says at the end of that paragraph there, once the great Socratic civilizational principle, I love that phrase, great Socratic civilizational principle, that it is never right to do wrong was violated by abandoning the the moral integrity of the Americans was undermined mm-hmm. uh, basically we chose to use evil means for a purportedly good end uh, and in fact the end itself uh, became evil in consequence
1: right yep and then he closes with that same principle his last line on page 15 it was a step in the death of the basic principle on which civilization rests
2: yep. Perfect way to end his foreword there. I've got our highlighted as well. We and, mo- and to introduce the rest of the book.
1: Yeah. yeah. Should we move on to the preface?
2: Yes. Yeah. Sure.
1: Okay. So this is the author's preface, and now he tells you, you know, what his thesis is and how he chose to – why he chose to write it. And uh, I think one of the key lines here is um, – I mean, he gives this beautiful description of D.M.'s Catholicism, which we'll get into again later. But one of the precious lines here, I think, is where he says where? that on top of eighteen, that top paragraph, that the war was lost not in Saigon but in Washington D.C. You know, within the circle of President John F. Kennedy's closest advisors. that yeah, if we, can, where
2: if we can get back up to the back a bit. yeah, exactly. I wanted, I wanted to take it from there because that that that's a wonderful analogy you know, and it's also very well written, did I find, it's top of page 18, did I find a veritable Conradian heart of darkness? Yes, I did, but not in the quarter to which all popular American sources were pointing their accusatory fingers, in other words, at the In other words, not in Saigon, but in Washington, D.C., within the circle of President John F. Kennedy's closest advisors, a, a very much a, uh, an inner non-sanctum, shall we say. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I want to look at the first sentence and the last sentence of this preface. Sure. I always like when an author tells us what he's doing. Yes. Uh, the overarching thesis of this book is that the first president of South Vietnam... nguyen Dinh Diem. No Dinh Okay, they get that G out of there. Possessed the Confucian... Mandate of heaven. That is to say, in the Buddhist culture.
1: Confucian. Well, I guess the Buddhists had it too. Yeah,
0: the Confucian culture, uh, that only someone was qualified and deserved to be a leader who lived a simple, ascetic, moral life and had personally virtuous character. And they call that the mandate of heaven. And then I, I love this last sentence. <laughs> uh, page 18. Truly, in order to solve a problem that did not exist, which is to say that it wasn't as if the uh, Viet Cong was actually gaining ground among the rural population, the Kennedy administration created a problem that could not be solved. And that remains the essence of the mystery of this particular inquiry. So, in order to solve a problem that did not exist, the administration made a problem that could not be solved. We'll see what that means. It just goes on. But that's a that's a very pithy mm-hmm. uh, summary of it.
2: Now, Just, uh, just one yeah. fact here before we do move on, because I do think that people want to know this. You know, we are told in the preface that DM was up for mass at 6.30 every morning. Um, you know, I know that certainly more more than beats me
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you know this is a man who's a daily communicant or goes to daily mass and at six thirty in the morning before starting his day's work every day
1: right right and you know he was murdered right after attending mass on All Souls day yeah.
2: Yeah. Yep. abducted from the church. He, uh,
1: yep and, yeah, so, uh, and we're going to read later that he uh, thought that perhaps he had a religious vocation, a calling to the priesthood. But because Vietnam was in such uh, a critical time in its history, he felt it a duty to serve his country in a, in a, in a statesman role uh, because that was sort of the tradition of his family. And so, you know, he truly was the philosopher king type that... Uh, plato was in search of right but look what we do to them
0: yeah well that that's pretty close to
1: yeah time
0: so let's uh, conclude it here and we'll see you at the next session for uh, the introduction on no din jim no go (laughs) thank you everyone god bless you If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Formed Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at FormedBookClub.Ignatius.com.